The views and opinions expressed on Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or NC State student media. You are currently tuned into Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1 Raleigh. Thank you for listening. Hello everyone, this is Brian Jurado, the Public Affairs Director here at WKNC. For today's episode of Eye on the Triangle, I am joined by technician news editors Abigail, Emily, and Heidi. They'll be sharing some local triangle news. Following the weekly news, we have an interview with Russ Friedel, the media and marketing manager for Shikori Hills. And lastly, we've got an interview with Pawan Mishra, the CEO of LoonSpark, and Pablo Torres, a digital art instructor at LoonSpark. So stay tuned. Hello guys, this is Eye on the Triangle. My name is Abigail Ali. I am the news editor at Technician, and today I am here with... Hey guys, I'm Heidi. I'm one of the assistant news editors. Hey, I'm Emily. I'm the other assistant news editor. And today we brought you some news tidbits from around the Triangle area, and yeah, let's get into it. All right, so to start out with today, the Wells Fargo on Clark Street near the NC State campus was robbed yesterday afternoon by a man wearing a wig and carrying a trash bag. The man apparently gave the teller a note saying that they had a gun and demanded money, although no weapon was seen, and the suspect was last seen on Woodburn Avenue. And I thought this was really interesting because bank robberies seem like they're a really common thing around campus this past year. If I remember correctly, two men robbed a bank and were literally hiding out on Centennial Campus for a while, and it took the police literally weeks to find them. Okay, so I feel like uh, Heidi mentioned to me that we didn't talk as much about Chapel Hill area. So we're to all the listeners out there in Chapel Hill, this is for you. So in, in the Ackland Art Museum in Chapel Hill from September 23rd to December 31st, they're um, exhibiting this exhibit <laughs> called Drawn to Life, Master Drawings from the Age of Rembrandt and the Pet Collection. And there's going to be over 70 Dutch sketches and drawings from the, 20, or from the 17th century. Sorry. Um, and since these drawings are sensitive to light and can only be displayed for short periods of time, a lot of these drawings are rarely exhibited and some has never been published before. So there will be a number of drawings by Rembrandt and his students on display, which is what most enticed me. I took an art history class last semester that really focused on Dutch art in the 17th century. So this is like, I think my art history teacher would love this, but I thought it was cool because um, I know that a lot of Rembrandt's work isn't, it's hard to find. And like the fact that it's going to be in Chapel Hill is really cool. So um, admissions free and you should go check it out if you're interested in that. <laughs> Okay, Raleigh, the fall festivities are making their way here, and I am so excited about it, especially for this one. Dorothea Dix Park will be hosting a Falling for a Local Autumn Market and Festival on September, October 15th, starting at 11 a.m. This festival sounds like the fall event of my dreams because there will be local makers and vendors, food trucks, beer, music, a kid zone, and free pumpkins. That's right, I said free pumpkins. The celebration will last until 6 p.m. and will make take place at the Big Field. I am so excited about this. If you couldn't already tell, I love seasonal themes. And between this event happening at my favorite Raleigh Park and featuring some of my favorite Raleigh like events and activities and free pumpkins, what I'm so excited about is like all of my favorite parts of falls, like makers and vendors, like having their cute little fall things, and then like different food trucks and like restaurants having their little fall special yeah. things and then like the pumpkins all in one spot that is so exciting to me okay so world of bluegrass is returning to raleigh to celebrate its 10th anniversary 
on September 27th through October 1st. Bluegrass shows will take place at different venues across Raleigh, and the quote-unquote biggest night in bluegrass is held on Thursday night at Duke Energy Center, and that's the awards show. The week ends with IBMA Bluegrass Live, a free two-day street festival featuring five stages of music. Bands playing include Twisted Pine, Balsam Range, and Peter Rowan Bluegrass Band. (laughs) And I am not a big bluegrass girly. I do not know any of those bands. I'm not even going to lie, but I love live music, and those are pretty popular bluegrass (laughs) bands from what I gather. So it should be really exciting, and there, there's going to be food trucks and beer and all that good stuff that comes with street festivals. So even if it's not, like, even if you're not a blue bluegrass fan, oh, my God, I'm sorry, bluegrass fan either, you should definitely stop by just for a show or two since it is free. Okay, so my next bit is about this crazy news story I read. Um, this Raleigh man said that hackers stole his car. Um, so this is, like, definitely a crime podcast this week because we've got a lot of crime going on. But a Raleigh resident says he noticed his BMW wasn't parked outside of his house, and after calling a few tow truck companies, he realized it had been stolen. So apparently hackers can steal a car using the signal from your key fob, and they get a device that, like, receives the signal. And apparently they're really cheap, too. You can buy them for, like, 22 bucks. And I think I've seen a video about this before. Like, someone on TikTok was like, yeah, I can, like, steal cars with this. But I didn't know that people actually did that. I thought it was more of, like, an informative video. But apparently this actually happens, and it happened somewhere in Raleigh. Um, so his key fob was inside his house, but because it was within, like, a certain amount of distance, someone was able to steal his car using that device. And then they can unlock the car without it sounding an alarm or anything. So, yeah, this trick is becoming more common, and people say especially it's among Mercedes and BMWs. So I guess if you have a Mercedes and BMW, you should watch out. But uh, I have a Honda, so it doesn't really, it's not really my problem. <laughs> But yeah, I thought it was kind of crazy. Technology's wild. The fact that it's so easy that you could just like hack somebody's car, like I so believe that. And I feel like that was even a thing with just regular keys a little while ago. Like people's keys would like get mixed up with different cars and stuff. I've heard of that happening. Oh, maybe it is your problem then, even though you drive a Honda. Yeah, Yeah, but I thought that was crazy, especially the twenty-two dollars part. That's scary. Like, how are you supposed to not like prevent that from happening? Exactly. Because you keep your keys in your house. Where else are you going to keep them? And if your car is parked outside, like, what are you going to do? I think like a lot of um, people are trying to like get um, manufacturers to just like address that issue, and so they're trying to like hopefully somehow update the keys and like stop selling keys that can do that. But for a lot of people who have like you know cars that are going to be older, they're not going to get the newest model. That's still a possibility. But I thought it was crazy that it was literally parked outside his house. Like, it was in some random neighborhood. Like, this person just went into a neighborhood and had that device and was able to steal his car. That is so Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Okay, guys. It is oyster season, and local seafood is hosting their first oyster roast on September 25th from 1 to 5 p.m. at Trophy Brewing, the one on Maywood specifically. The event will feature freshly cooked oysters and Oyster Nipper, a a beer brewed with oysters. As a girly from the coast, I absolutely love oysters and honestly, oyster season in general because the ritual of having people gather and share great food is just like the best. And I absolutely love seeing this tradition being carried on in the triangle also now that I live here. Also, I know the beer thing sounds so weird, but I actually tried a beer like this from The Vault, another brewery in Raleigh, and it was honestly not bad, like, at all. So, yeah, this event sounds like a lot of fun. 
All right, guys, big deal. Big deal celeb coming to Raleigh. And you need to guess, it's an A-list celebrity. Who do you think is coming to Raleigh in November? Go. It's not Trisha Paytas, but you're getting warmer. <laughs> is it Adam Levine? <laughs> oh, you're so, you're so close. You got the first name right. There's no way it's Adam Sandler. I know it's hard to believe, but Adam Sandler is coming to Raleigh. Ah! So yeah, I know Heidi's excited. We're all excited here. I'm sure you can hear it in our voices. But not only will he be doing comedy, he's playing music. <laughs> he's playing music at this show, not just comedy. He literally, the picture of him had a guitar. Like he's full on playing music. So if you're an Adam Sandler fan, you need to get your tickets right now because they're on sale right now. Um, he's going to be here on November 13th. So mark your calendars. Get ready. Big, big deal. Everyone, I better see your Adam Sandler fit. Adam, Sam <laughs> Adam Sandler fits. I want, I want to see the big baggy pants, the huge t-shirts. Yeah. Everyone has to come up looking like him. Yeah, I forgot to mention. Maybe shave your head if you're really committed uh -huh. to the cause. It's your call. But I am so excited. I did not yeah. know he could even play a guitar. The dress... Sorry, yeah. The dress code is either black tie or Adam Sandler. <laughs> no you in can decide. <laughs> the last tidbit for this week is for all the Transfer Co. lovers. The popular food hall will now be using its ballroom, previously used for private parties, business lunches, etc. And it will now serve as a music venue. According to Indie Week, the ballroom can seat Around 300 people and TransferCo intends to schedule talent from Thursday to Sundays. The, fall, the fun all starts on October 7th with wormholes. <laughs> Raleigh's music venues are such a large part of its culture. I definitely think that the addition of music to transfer is going to be something locals will really enjoy and that will bring business to the food hall. I hope they call their events food hall balls oh my like, god it cute. rhymes wouldn't that be cute that's i feel like really that'd be smart. really fun no that's so cute yeah i think it would be good all right guys that's all we have for you this week as always thank you for joining us and we will see you next time bye, bye. up next eye on the triangle reporter maha interviews russ friedel the media and marketing manager for shikori hills grassroots festival this is Maha with 88.1 FM, and you are listening to Eye on the Triangle, live 6 to 7 p.m. every Sunday evening. Let's talk hippies, grassroots music, and overall wholesome family vibes. I am joining Russ Friedel, who is the media marketing manager for Shakori Hills, and has lovingly agreed to meet with us to talk about Shakori Hills Grassroots Festival coming up this October. My first question for you is, what is the origin story of Shakori Hills? Uh, they said, the festival founder said, you know what, we should really do this. Uh, you know, there should be four seasons. We should do this, you know, multiple times a year. And uh, one of the founders, Jordan Currier, uh, discovered this beautiful 75-acre uh, farm in Pittsburgh, and the organization purchased that back in 2001, 2002, somewhere around there, and started the Shikori Hills Grassroots Festival. Um, and ever since then, this one coming up here, this is the 18th annual fall Shikori Hills Grassroots Festival. So uh, for 18 years, the organization has been producing two festivals there, uh, every year, always the first weekend of May and the first weekend of October. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Have you been part of the creation in the history of Shikori? Uh, so myself, no. Um, I have been involved with the festival since the onset of pandemic times. Um, but prior to that, um, I managed bands for many, many years and worked on other music festivals and other things in the music industry uh, and attended the Finger Lakes Grassroots Festival, the home festival up here in New York. I, I had attended that one 13 or 14 years. So I was very familiar with the organization and the vibe and what they are all about. Love that. What is the essence of Shikori, would you say? Yeah, so the essence of grassroots and the grassroots festival in general, no matter, no matter where it's happening, is to open a dialogue and a conversation between cultures that might not normally communicate directly with each other. Um, the grassroots organization firmly believes that um, so much can be created through conversation and that human beings really let their guard down and open themselves up in, in situations like music festivals where you're being exposed to specifically for grassroots you know you're being exposed to an incredible african band you've never heard of before or an incredible uh cajun creole zydeco band you've never heard before and the basic idea is that you know we have more in common than we have different between between us culturally and that a lot can, a, a lot of ground can be covered and uh, bridges connected between human beings, um, you know, when, when they're able to communicate and share with each other in that environment. Communicating through music, bringing everyone together. Sharing, yeah, sharing culture and music yeah. through celebration and, uh, and community, absolutely. Awesome. Now, you are a longtime Shikori goer. So in your opinion, what is the evolution of Shikori? What was it um, maybe 13 or 14 years ago? What has it turned into today? Yeah, uh, I would say that the evolution, you know, it really sticks true to its roots. And really, you know, the evolution is, you know, the property gets better and better uh, every festival as, as it gets more and more developed, but being, you know, true to its roots. Um, so the evolution has really just been an expanding community as more and more bands perform and bands want to come back and various people um, are engaged at various levels, whether it's at the kids tent or the sustainability fair or the, um, the outpost, the teen outpost, there's, there's a number of other things that go on uh, at the festival other than just music. And so I would say the evolution has just been like the growth of various groups from meeting each other and communicating at Shikori at these festivals that then expands out into the community, out into the Triangle and Raleigh and out into Greensboro and um, you know, Winston-Salem and, you know, out to Charlotte and Asheville and Wilmington. So it's, it's really just been an evolution of the community of, of like-minded folks within the state of North Carolina and beyond. Awesome. Awesome. So it seems like you're kind of saying that it's a family that's grown together. 
Absolutely. And one of the coolest things that I really love is that Shakur Hills Grassroots Festival is family friendly. Um, mm -hmm. Children under 12 are admitted free of charge with a parent or guardian. And so what that enables is over all of these years, well, number one, uh, people are exposed to music that they might not necessarily find themselves. Uh, but then number two is, you know, year after year, uh, people come back. And so what's the evolution is like since the inception, the first people who started attending and volunteering and supporting the organization and, and just having a good time, um, you know, had children and then their children had children. And so now at, at, at grassroots festivals, you have um, three, four generations of families that this is their time, you know, outside of Christmas, right, where they, they get together. <laughs> Um, and so it's just a very beautiful thing to, to look around and, and see kids running around barefoot with painted faces and um, <laughs> doing, doing yoga or enjoying any of the number of uh, children's performers who we have in the mornings. And then, you know, it, it, to look next to them and there's their 89-year-old grandmother just cutting a rug, you know, just dancing up the storm. Um, to some <laughs> in, incredible bluegrass band, you know, and, and that's stuff that's real and that's tangible and really you can feel deep in your soul. And um, I think that's like some of the most powerful stuff, especially yeah, when you're talking about talking about kids and, and what separates uh, grassroots festivals from, from just a regular festival. Yeah, so you've got Thanksgiving, you've got Christmas, and you've got Shikori. Absolutely. Very yeah. <laughs> love that. I love that. Now, what is your favorite part of Shikori? If you could say well, one thing. Oh gosh, I don't know if I want to say it because I don't really want my cover blown, but I, I'll, I'll admit it to you here on air. Uh, my favorite part about Shikori is the front porch stage, which is the front porch of our main headquarters that's kind of situated in the middle of the festival at uh -huh. the farmhouse. And uh, we have an amazing band. I, I want to say these guys have been doing this for 18 years now. Um, but these, these nice old guys who come in and they post up and it's just kind of a low-key acoustic stage where anyone, anyone attending the festival can get on stage and play a song with, with these guys and they'll back you up. Um, and then in addition to that, they have various like the Tom Petty sing-along hour or the you know, the John Prine sing-along hour, you know? And so it's just music at its soul, at, at its roots, mm -hmm. you know, just stripped back and, and community oriented. And so that for me is probably, it's just always walking by that stage. And, you know, there's, sometimes there's three people sitting out there singing all the words and sometimes there's 30 or 40 or 50 people, but it's always, the vibe is always great. It's always just this real nice running, you know, open invitation to create together. And that to me is where the magic is at. Love that, awesome. Now, what kinds of events and activities can we expect at Shakori this coming October? The, uh, we have a number of activities for kids and kids programming. Uh, we have our kids tent that is open the weekend round. We have kids yoga, we have kids uh, bands and, and set times, and then we have uh, the Outpost, which is a, a, a for, for teens. 
we also have the Sustainability Fair that features a number of uh, amazing organizations around Chatham County and around the Triangle, including beekeepers and climate change activists and register to vote and all of that type of uh, stuff. Um, and then, like I said, the other thing I love is the front porch stage, which in addition to just kind of the open jam, features a number of intimate workshops led by various performers at the festival from how to write a song to how to play the washboard in a Zydeco band. Um, and then in addition to all of that, you know, really we have four stages of music running 12 to 16 hours a day for four days. So it's about 60 or 70 bands and uh, plenty of nonstop music to enjoy. Thank you, thank you. Now, this is kind of a fun question. What is the craziest Shikori experience you have ever had? Oh boy, that's a, that's a real big one. I really have to rack my brain here. You can um, narrow it to top three if it makes it easier. Yeah. <laughs> Take it from one to three. I love it. <laughs> um, my man, to be honest with you, some of my favorite moments in general at Shikori and just at, at grassroots festivals in general are with my friends. You know, those, those moments where, you know, you really are able to just sink into uh, a deep conversation or just laugh hysterically around the campfire, you know, for hours about nothing with, with people that you love. Um, and those moments are really what I personally live for uh, at Shikori. You know, aside from that, there's been a number, a wide range of performers at the festival over all the years from, um, you know, Bela Fleck to uh, the funk band Lettuce to um, this past spring we had Carl Denson who plays with the Rolling Stones. So it's just always fun to bring in new artists and musicians. Um, and I think the other, my other favorite part just in general is always experiencing a new band, a new musician, a new genre of music maybe I've never heard before. And I think that's what I really, really love most about Shikori and about Grassroots Festival. Thank you so much for sharing. Signing off, Eye on the Triangle. Tune in 6 to 7 p.m. every Sunday. Thank you, Russ. Hey, you're welcome. And hey, if folks are interested, you can find all the information, anything else you hear, heart desires at shikorihillsgrassroots.org. For our last interview of the evening, Eye on the Triangle will be interviewing Pawan Mishra and Pablo Torres of Loonspark. Hello everyone, this is Brian Jurado with Eye on the Triangle. Today I'm joined by Pawan Mishra and Pablo Torres from Loonspark, an art education center located here in Apex. If you all each want to just introduce yourselves. My name is Pawan Mishra. Um, I am the CEO and founder of Loonspark. Um, I worked for Fidelity prior to starting Loonspark for about 17 and a half years. And I was managing wealth management platform at Fidelity before that. And I'm Pablo. Uh, I'm a student here at NC State. Uh, this is my senior year. And uh, I'm an illustrator and artist. Um, and I've been working professionally for companies like Cartoon Network since I was like 16. Pablo reached out to me a couple weeks ago uh, just regarding LoonSpark and how passionate he is about the center and like how passionate is he is about uh, Mr. Mishra's backstory. So I would really just love if you kind of were able to like dive in into that. 
Absolutely. Um, so as I was growing up in a small town in India called Aligarh, I was artist at heart. You know, I was a writer. I wanted to be a writer. And it was very hard for me while growing up in the age of like seven, eight years through 17, 18 to find right connections, right platforms, right people who could guide me through that journey. Fast forward a few years back, I started conceiving a place like this where a lot of young hearts, you know, young artists, they want to pursue art, theater or music, but they don't get the right support. So they don't get the artists who are practicing, you know, artists uh, who are teaching as well, because only artists can share the details of what they go through when they go through the journey of being an artist. And they don't find a place often where all the equipments are available for them. They have professional access to professional equipment. So um, that was another thing that, you know, I wanted to achieve with this center that I started. And then lastly, there is not uh, a kind of progression based uh, curriculum in art typically like uh, you see in STEM courses. So if you go for mathematics, you will see that you go from level one to level two to level three. Uh, but uh, most of the art places do not have anything like that. So it's very hard for parents of young kids or even for adults to measure their progress once they're going to the art school. So um, the two purposes connected together. One was like when I was growing up, there was no platform that uh, could provide holistic art education, get access to equipments and uh, artists who can guide. And then the other one was that there is, you know, a shortage of art schools and theatrical schools and also music schools that can provide holistic education. More and more effort is now toward having more and more STEM schools like teaching robotics and computer science and, uh, you know, coding and all that good stuff, which is good. You know, it's very important to develop the left brain, but we also need development of the right brain at the right time. So that's what we are addressing with this new center. Just overall, what brought you to like uh, starting it here in Apex of all places? So first of all, I moved to Apex about three years back and I fell in love with Apex. So I moved from Morrisville, which was an another outstanding town. So the, the entire triangle area, you know, I really love it. And once I moved to Apex, I started looking for a place to start it. And I found a place just the way I wanted, probably half a mile from my house in Apex. And Apex, if you uh, did not know about, is a very upcoming town. You know, a lot of uh, people are moving to Apex and demography is very appealing to the kind of uh, center we are starting. So that was the reason we started. Uh, if you just kind of want to give a little bit of a description of the location, I mean, I was able to kind of do a little bit of my own research, and it's just very wide programs. There's um, 2D uh, drawing, there's acting classes, as well as uh, audio editing. It's just such a wide platform of just, like, things to learn about. Like, what kind of brought that into fruition? So, absolutely. Um, I think when you think about right brain, it is really about storytelling. So, right brain is the storyteller right brain is basically the part of the brain that imagines things right brain basically uh, tackles the novel situation so you're thrown into completely new situations the right brain which will think about something and come back with creative ideas right so in the end you know art music you know theater you talk about anything is 
it's in the end all about storytelling. So uh, we thought about you know the courses that typically are offered within our area. So there is you know music lessons. You know there is uh, definitely you know drawing, painting, and you know a lot of other uh, areas like you know you can learn guitar. What we focus on really is things that are not offered. So sound engineering, you know, uh, music production, songwriting, um, flute playing, um, uh, comic making, and 2D animation. So stuff that you typically don't find, obviously movie making, acting. In our center, we also uh, make movies. So uh, during our courses, students learn acting, they learn movie making, and they end up making a movie, which is like five to 10 minutes. So the idea was that how do we make this place to be holistic about storytelling more than anything else. Because I'll tell you what happens in a typical art place. So even though our place is, you know, uh, it serves all age ranges, our focus is uh, more on the uh, children. So children from seven and up, up to like 17 years of age. And then we definitely have classes for adults and above. Uh, but what is more important to know is that 10 to 15 years is the age where most artists are born. So whether it is the timing or whether it is like kind of observations you make during that time, if you do some kind of survey, you'll figure out that's the time where most of the artists are born. You know, they use the stuff that they go through or experiences they go through during that age, you know, when they kind of, uh, you know, do art or write a story or make a movie. So. Uh, so basically, the idea of this place to have these kind of courses is that it allows artists to discover their heart. So you might start in drawing and painting, and you see other people doing acting, movie making, and over the period of time, you will realize that your real heart in the other genre of storytelling. There's another way of storytelling that appeals you more than what you initially thought. So you might come in for acting and uh, go toward drawing and painting because the center, you can see everything happening at the same time. You can see people who didn't know anything about acting and they started acting within like five days and you might think to yourself, I always thought acting was very tough, but somebody is doing that in front of me and learned in like five days. So it's not hard, I can learn it. So it encourages, sort of encourages you to you know, take advantage of 20 plus courses that we have now so that you can find your heart and continue on your journey. Yeah, I can definitely like speak for that kind of like artistic influence of being around like different arts. My uh, roommate is actually like a design major here at NC State and he's like always doing something on his iPad and I feel like that's kind of motivated me to kind of design as well, even though it's not my own personal like career path or like I've just kind of picked it up as a hobby a lot. So I can definitely see how like being in that like center and you have all of these different arts going around, it can definitely be like very inspiring. And I feel like especially like in the United States where a lot of the main artistic mediums is typically like writing or drawing, you don't really see too much like audio production, especially at like younger ages. So I feel like it's very incredible with like Loon Spark, how you are kind of like able to be in those like rooms or be around those rooms at from a year early age. Uh, was there any programs that y'all kind of like started out with first in terms of like, did you kind of progress in moving forward on the programs? Absolutely. So we were frequently advised that we should just start with one and then, you know, over a period of time build it. And 
the kind of approach we took, we like, we burnt our boat. You know, we are here to offer full range of storytelling and we went all in into this and we hired real good artists. So just to give you an idea, last week, one of our, so our studio manager actually won an Emmy award, right? So, you know, he has been awesome. So he's teaching full-time at um, Loons Park. He's our full-time employee. So we kind of have teachers of such profile who are teaching at our place. So we're going into this for a long haul. We really want to make an impact with the community. We really want to make sure that artists who are there, young artists who have, you know, inner spark, we are helping them identify that. Yeah, and if I can mention, uh, not only do we have, you know, that level of, um, you know, instructors like Emmy winners, but the materials we're using are professional grade. So, you know, um, just the like audio engineering setup alone is just, it's mind blowing. It's something you'd see, you know, at these big name places. And we can say that confidently for every uh, material. Like it's, it's mind blowing. Like as an artist, an art student, um, you know, this is something that I've never had access to, you know, growing up in Miami. So, um, yeah, it's just incredible. Uh, we also are joined with Pablo Torres as well as he kind of gave a little bit of a light background on his like cartoon network and a little bit of like animation that he's done in the past. But what brought you over to like Loon Spark? Um, so I'm wrapping up my degree here at NC State and, um, you know, throughout, um, you know, the go to school from home, like COVID era um, is when I made the transition from contract gigs that lasted one or two months to, you know, doing art full time. Um, for companies like Frederator Studios. But, you know, it it was very much on a uh, contract basis. So there would be periods of time where, you know, I was working 12-hour days um, for them, doing backgrounds and storyboarding. And there would be months where I was doing nothing because um, they didn't need me. And I was getting tired of that, um, especially since it kind of meant that I couldn't draw what I wanted to draw, like make my own art because uh, it took up all my time. And then, you know, I don't know where, you know, the opportunity to work with Fawan sort of just fell out, like, on my lap. And uh, I met with him, and I showed him my portfolio. And, you know, once he explained, um, you know, what we're going to do at the level we're going to do it at, I was I wanted to come aboard right away. And uh, thankfully, you know, after that first meeting, uh, he hired me. So, yeah. Uh, great. And you also attend NC State. You said you're on your, like, last uh, four or your last year here. Yeah, so yeah. you're senior. Uh, what's kind of been your experience in terms of just like being within the arts here at like a non-typical like art school? I mean, well, my degree isn't in the like school of design. Um, and I guess that's partially due to, you know, uh, lack of exposure to, you know, higher education in the arts. I mean, when I graduated um, and I saw how artists typically live where I'm from. I was like, well, I can't really afford to live like this. So I just thought that, you know, making a career off of art is something you couldn't really do. And, you know, over time and as I my portfolio got bigger and I was working with better clients, I realized maybe, you know, this is something I could do, but I still didn't have enough confidence in it. So, you know, I got a normal degree. And then, you know, here at the end is when Pawan sort of inspired me to just, you know, go for it completely. And just in general, Puan, how do you go about, like, recruiting these artists? Is it kind of like you searching all throughout, like, the United States? Or is it, like, something that you're typically looking for more local, like, triangle-based artists? So primarily I used Indeed for job search. So I would post the job there and I would mention that it is a local position. So 
if anybody was willing to relocate or drive, that was totally fine. And this was a tough hiring. So I've hired pretty much entire my professional career. So at my uh, previous employer, I was, uh, you know, in a position where I had a big team of uh, about 100 plus people. So I used to do a lot of hiring. But this time it was different because I was going after hiring the real artists, you know, artists who are passionate about creating their own creations, right? So they're not just teaching, you know, how to create stuff, but they practice hard day in, day out themselves because that brings the passion of, you know, an artist. So it was hard. I did, I did talk to a lot of people, I think about maybe about 200 plus, you know, to hire about, you know, 15. Um, and the idea there was that, you know, Indeed would, give me a list of people who were interested and then I would just, you know, go through, look at the profiles, you know, shortlist few, talk to few and then further shortlist and, and uh, then pick the ones that I really liked, you know, after talking to them. I typically looked at their portfolio, you know, what they created. I typically assess, you know, their passion level about teaching and about art itself. And I think it worked. I was lucky, I think, looking at my team now, I was really lucky to ha hire everybody who was, who was super passionate and specifically passionate about young artists because there is a side of teaching young artists which could be frustrating because, you know, they're starting in a field in a new way and they learn basics first. So teaching basics is the hardest part. Um, so I'm very proud to say that everybody I hired, they have lot of patience with that even though you know the time is uh, really expensive because you know they do their artwork too so they want to spend a lot of time doing their own artwork but they're so passionate about it that they have right level of patience to work with uh, the new artists so i'm really really lucky about hiring who i ended up hiring backtracking a little bit in terms of just like the origins of loon spark how do you feel like the like when you first established the location and like you started moving through with the process, how do you feel like that process was in terms of like building that art community within like this area? Do you feel like there was any like backlash or any hardships that you had to face starting out? So I think there were two sides to it, right? The concept itself was highly welcome by, every, by everybody. I think parents and the community loved it. The moment they heard about there was something like this coming, there was other side of constructing it with COVID, you know, delaying uh, material for months and months. Um, and then uh, the way an unique, a unique design like a design for a studio uh, can be very intimidating in terms of like how many approvals it goes through, how many corrections, you know, come back and uh, how much back and forth, you know, and specifically when the place is primarily going to be for children. Um, so I think that part was a bit overwhelming. Uh, I'll tell you the kind of glass we are using is probably the best quality glass that you can ever get for a professional studio. But to get that, there was a, you know, orders, orders were back for like six to eight months and uh, we lost a lot of time. You know, we've been uh, working on building this center for about 18 months and you know, uh, it was unfortunate that we lost the entire, you know, summer uh, duration uh, where a lot of uh, artists could have come to our center because, you know, they had three months of time to work on their art. But, you know, we look, we are futuristic. So we were lucky to launch in August. 
August 22nd is when we launch and looking forward to uh, serving the community, you know, hereafter. So to answer your question, it's mixed, you know, constructing the center is highly challenging when, you know, it is uh, including a lot of consideration about future. So for example, everything is so thought, uh, thoughtful in the center, like uh, even, you know, the green curtains that you use for uh, movie making. So typically you put them, you know, on some kind of stands and you bring the curtains and it takes you two hours to set all of that. We got them as a projector in the ceiling itself. So uh, when the acting class, you know, wants to do acting or theater, we can just put, uh, just press a button and the green curtains come, you know, from the top. So there are a lot of stuff like that, which makes the space to be highly customizable and portable and highly quickly operable and efficient. And that kind of, in a way, causes a lot of problems for approvals to get it right and things like that. But that's all past. Also kind of wanted to talk about like your curriculums available. I saw that you have a very like long list of just programs in terms of just being able to be flexible towards a lot of different bodies of people. But as like an instructor there, how do you go about creating like a curriculum for like a seven week course or anything that may be like longer? I, the, uh, when I told Pawan like, you know, here are the classes I feel confident in teaching, uh, illustration, um, like digital portraiture and painting, um, you know, uh, comic making. Um, he had me write a curriculum for 26 weeks, super detailed. Um, you know, for the certification courses where, you know, you could come in knowing nothing, but by the end, you'll have a pretty good grasp on what you need to know if this is what you want to do. So in my personal experience, I sort of just designed the course um, after what I would have liked to hear because um, having no connections and just sort of making my own way in that space, like the art world, it was pretty tough. So, you know, hopefully avoiding certain pitfalls, but also guiding people where I want them to be or where they would want to be is how I sort of designed it. Great. Now, what is like the age ranges that y'all typically like see? Is there, are y'all mostly like marketing or looking for more of like a younger art, artist or is it just like everyone? So, so we basically say that we serve young artists. So when I say, when we say young artists, we mean people who are young in learning art. So people who are starting from beginning. So we do have concept of different levels for uh, each of the course. So we divide our certification courses in like five levels. So you start at the beginning level, go all the way to master level. And we have a model where you go month on month, you pay monthly, and you can drop out anytime you want. And you can continue until you're satisfied with your journey. And once you decide that, okay, this is enough for me, you know, I, now I can figure out my own way or you want to continue, you say, okay, I want to continue create art with my teacher. So you can do that. Um, from age range perspective, so we do serve all age ranges. We typically say that there are preteen classes, there are teen classes, and then there are adult classes, right? Um, and what we are seeing is that there is a lot of uh, interest for preteen classes and there is a lot of interest for the adult classes as well because what has happened is that for some reason you know a lot of adults and specifically in senior population or adults who are in college uh, they couldn't 
learn when you know they wanted to learn as kids and children so they're coming back and kind of enrolling for things that they always wanted to do so for example somebody wanted to write um, stories and couldn't do it because of you know being busy with uh, classes or being busy with work and they're coming back to it now so we're seeing that trend a lot i mean my um, drawing class is all older professional women so it's like people of all ages and the other drawing class that goes on at the same time is you know young kids so like there's a huge spectrum that is really great. I think that's what like really is important about like the art centers, especially like like any place that really kind of curates or like fundamentalizes like learning art is what like how wide the age range is. Like I personally am 22 and after COVID, I just had this very inspired spark that I wanted to learn a bunch of new things, especially like writing. I came into a lot of creative writing because prior to that, I went to very like STEM or just like those typical STEM schools growing up through high school, middle school that didn't really curate like any creative writing that wasn't like really expressed in any of like those school curriculums that I was in. So like I've always kind of like suppressed wanting to learn that and went towards more like academic or AP level kind of like journalistic writing. And that's what I was kind of like told to learn and to like ditched the creative side. And then I think after COVID or during COVID, I was like, huh. I have all this free time. School is no longer kind of like fully on my back as much as it used to be. Like I started pursuing creative writing and now I'm kind of like in the market as well. Just like I feel like a bunch of people in terms of I kind of want to take it up to another level and maybe reach out and see if I can find someone that's a lot more knowledgeable on it. And I think that's what's kind of great about centers about like from y'all. Yeah, that's what makes it, I in my opinion, different from, you know, anywhere I've seen or been. Um you know, I mean, just thinking um, if I was, you know, 18 again, um, you know, I went to art school through most of my life uh, in downtown Miami. And it is a little demoralizing when you can tell that, A, your teacher is just there for a check, you know, and they don't really care about the art or B, they do. But, you know, they don't really they haven't really had much to show for it. Um, but with Loonspark, um, you know, starting with the founder who he always wanted to write and he wrote a best selling book. Um, once he decided to and you know that's all the staff I mean everybody has these incredible credentials that I mean sometimes it's a little daunting for me um, so I can imagine that would be really inspiring to somebody who you know was maybe hesitant to start and when they realized they could do it not only you know could they be satisfied in that but they could look to the future for themselves you know hey, there's a future in art for me maybe how would you best recommend someone that maybe just listened to this interview is feeling a lot like motivated to maybe pursue this what would be like the first steps in terms of like reaching out to loon spark so i would definitely say come by have a look at our facility because one thing that we have done is we have created that platform that place where once you come in, it gives you vibes that will you will find very inviting as an artist. Right? So come by, and then we have a very friendly staff. They're going to come. They're going to talk to you. They're going to speak about everything that we offer. They're going to work with you. They're going to spend time with you to make sure they educate you on and you know what you really want to do and you know uh, what might work for you given you know uh, what you tell them so we do that kind of consultancy as well so my recommendation would be come by to the center you know take a look at the center explore what is available and have a conversation with the 
with the experts out there, you know, the teachers, the front office, and then you can decide, you know, what you want to pursue. And we have different programs. So we have, um, you know, certification courses. And then for, you know, relatively lower ages, we have camps, we have one day camps. We're going to also run workshops very soon, which is, you know, targeting adult age range. We'll have some family doing stuff together and stuff like that. We are also doing concerts during, you know, weekend hours where we don't, you know, schedule normally the classes, you know, like Saturday and sun, uh, Sunday evenings. Um, you know, first one happening on October 2nd where a Czech, Czech band called Malina Brothers is coming and playing during their U.S. tour at our center to a very small audience. So... I think we are privileged to have them uh, and we will do more. We are scheduling more such concerts so that we are also known as promoting art and supporting art, you know, for the community uh, in the in the area. So so I would say, yes, definitely they should come by. And if they don't have that much time, they can definitely call us and have the same conversation on phone. They can visit our, visit our website and figure out where their interest is and take it from there. And uh, how exactly does like the certification courses work? So we call them certification courses because we have like five levels for each course. And, you know, what I was alluding earlier in this interview that the art traditionally, art education traditionally has lacked that discipline, which you see in STEM very uh, prominently. Um, so you make progress, you go to next level. Now we are trying to implement the same discipline uh, for every course. So certification course means that you come in at certain level. So let's say you come at the beginning level and you go to proficient level, let's say after working uh, in that course for six months. And then you work hard and you go to intermediate level and then you might go to you know, professional level or a master level in next three years or maybe 12 months. Uh, based on, you know, how quickly you pick up things. So when you go to the next level, we give you a certificate which says, you know, you have achieved LoonSpark level two in uh, character design, for example. And that is your baseline. Now, in future, we plan to open more LoonSpark centers. So you are level two at LoonSpark center one. Now you move to another city. And you can say, okay, I was level two in LoonSpark. I want to continue from there. So you can continue learning about level three for LoonSpark certification. So to bring consistency about learning and also making sure you're making progress because progress is very important. Because I would tell you it is even more important to have progress measured in art than science or math. Because science and math are very uh, kind of uh, systematic in that sense already that you know that you know Newton's laws, you know, you can graduate from there and know certain other laws, right? But in in art, it is very difficult to say, you know, whether you are at this level, now you're going to that level. Assessment is tricky and it's more gray compared to STEM subjects. So uh, this is the first time I think uh, anybody is doing this kind of uh, thing across holistic storytelling aspects, right? So, you know, there are Music schools that do that, you know, some famous schools do that. We are coming up with our own certification across all these streams. Amazing, yeah. Um, I would say, like, with the kind of, I guess there's been a lot of debates in terms of just, like, uh, technology and the way that it's being used to be, like, 
taught, especially in like those STEM environments? How would you say that like technology kind of influences how you all do your work at uh, Moonspark? I think it is very important. So first of all, setting up the infrastructure, you have to drive with the latest and greatest technology, whether it's like equipment setup, everything happens with softwares these days, right? So you have to pick the right software, right technology to do it, then then building the infrastructure for teachers to communicate, like, you know, how the Macs are going to work together, you know, because obviously there are multiple nuances about bringing support system in and technology is the core backbone to make sure such a place runs efficiently. And then you think about, you know, uh, specifically, you know, sound production or movie production, technology is extremely handy, right? So it's not only, you know, continuing with what one has done in last 10 years, you know, every, every few months there's something new coming, you know, it doesn't matter which area you are in, you know, and uh, Pablo can vouch for it. Like, you know, there's softwares that are upgraded and there are new ones that come in and they make um, something, you know, like platform-like. So, you know, at some point, uh, I will give you a simple example. At some point when people used to do animation, they would put images, you know, together one by other, and then it'll take months and months to do a small piece of animation. Now, all of that stuff has gone into platforms. So you can plug your, you know, uh, end results, you know, or, or plug whatever you want to achieve on top of a platform. Your platform provides you most of the basic stuff and it speedens your delivery of your artistic creation. So technology is in everything. It's extremely important to be on the latest and greatest so that you're not getting stuck on the way. And in terms of just like the future of art education, I say that you guys are kind of like on the forefront of it. And you've got, like you said, you're kind of being updated with like all the latest technology and just being up to date on that. But like, what's your kind of opinions or thoughts on like how you're going to move forward in terms of just like the next maybe five years or so? So what we're going to do over the next six months, we're going to make sure that there is enough awareness about our center. Um, we definitely know there's a huge demand for something like what we have. So we have a product that people people love and we talk uh, people we talk to. Um, I think we're trying to establish a connection between the product and the consumers here, right? So we're trying to create that awareness. So next six months is mostly about creating that awareness and making sure we are serving more and more students, right? And making the center profitable because that's important, right? And once that happens, you know, we are going to open up two more centers. That's our next plan. Um, uh, in the nearby area, let's say within 20 miles. So we're going to do some research, you know, what's the right locations for those two centers. And once we achieve success with three centers, then we will look at converting this into a franchisee because that is probably the most effective way to get into hundreds of these centers very quickly, you know, and make that impact, which is not you know, in a particular city alone, but, you know, across state or across country. So we really want to go there, you know, quickly, as quickly as possible. But we understand that we need to go through a lot in order to get there. So that, that that's our five-year plan, right? I'm very excited to kind of see how y'all keep progressing. I think just the way that you kind of spoke about the certification courses, I 
think it'd be incredible to just kind of have like that linear like just uh, being able to connect all of the locations such as if you're like a level two in one location you can kind of pick up where you left off I think that is like prevalent in other industries but not as much as in art and I feel like if you like maybe are in, from one city and you started a art class there and then you want to move somewhere else it's not going to be like the same where you left off so I think it's incredible to kind of have that yeah um, unfortunately um, speaking from experience you know you're either lucky you know born into artistic family or you got to figure it out yourself because uh, you know at least in the u.s uh art education has been gutted so um you know it's pretty great to have a place like this with at the standard that it's at um to sort of nurture future generations of art because um you know it's kind of worrying you know how fast it's disappearing from the curriculum in schools and not just uh you know um k through 12 but uh you know also in college as well I would very much agree. I think I've been also kind of like looking over just the regular curriculums because my sister's right now in like uh, ninth grade and she's like very much into like arts. She's very much into like fashion design because she's expressed an interest in doing textiles here at NC State. And she's like asking me all these questions about like fashion, like design and textiles, because those like at least the smaller high schools that I've been to or the, the one that I went to. They didn't really have too many like art programs. Like I think I took maybe one art class in my four years there, and I think that is like kind of a bit gutting to think about because like there is a lot of talented artists, especially in this area, that don't really get like the development that they deserve or that they like aspire to have. So it'd be very cool to kind of see places such as Loon Spark expand to like maybe smaller like areas as well to kind of be able to captivate and like bring in those like smaller artists that don't always get the opportunity to well it's been great talking to both of you all i've really enjoyed or being introduced to you mr mishra and it's also been great meeting you mr torres uh is there anything that you guys want to add uh besides thank you for having us not really no no nothing thank you for having us it was a pleasure talking to you yeah i really look forward to learning more about uh, Loon Spark, and I also look forward to kind of just seeing how you guys grow from here. I'm new to the Raleigh area. I'm new to like this whole triangle area. And I feel like every day I'm almost introduced to like a new amazing business. And I would say that y'all's really captivated me from like the second that I like researched y'all and learned more about it. It was very captivating and I'm very excited to see where y'all grow from here. That's great to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. That is all for today's episode of Eye on the Triangle. I want to thank Abigail, Heidi, and Emily. Your tidbits have me very excited for fall and for some oysters. I also want to thank Russ Friedel for interviewing with us. I'm really looking forward to this year's Shikori Hills. Uh, lastly, I want to thank Pawan Mishra and Pablo Torres for their time. I hope everyone has a lovely rest of their week. Music for today's episode has been Smoke Jacket Blues by Track Tribe, licensed under the YouTube Audio Library. This has been Brian Jurado from WKNC. You can listen to more Eye on the Triangle episodes on wknc.org slash podcast. Thank you.